Discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined in the studio this week by David Moser, academic director of the CET program in Beijing, and as I've mentioned, introducing many a time now, an accomplished pianist. David, how's it going, man? Very good. Good to be here on a music night. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the fact that you are a musician has a particular salience on today's show. Um, you know, you'd probably agree to the extent that anyone knows who either of us are, they they might know so because. Of our long involvement in music here in China, yeah, right.、Um, and while most people would associate you with jazz and me with, well, somewhat embarrassingly <laughs> heavy metal or something, you know, a little lower, lower brow, I, I know that in my case,、um, one thing they probably don't know about me is that I have an immoderate love for musical theater、uh, that I've had since childhood. I mean, when I was a kid, it was The Sound of Music, Fiddler on the Roof, The Music Man, and、uh, 1776. Maybe not such a commonly loved one, but. These are all staples for me, and I、wow. would listen to them. Especially、uh, you know, with my with my younger brother Jay, we would watch and rewatch them in the eighties. Once VHSs became, you know, these were the first things that we rushed out and bought. Your younger brother Jay, who went on to do that. That's、uh, right. He, he's he Google is him. Be, Google him. Yeah, Jay Jay Quo. Right. He、mm-hmm. so he actually、uh, left a, a brilliant career in law. law And、uh, decided to pursue his real passion, which was musical theater. And he's written a show. He's written、uh, three shows, but this le- last one is actually going to Broadway this fall. It's called Allegiance, and it stars George Takei、uh, of Star Trek fame, and and of course now he's like of of Facebook and social media fame, <laughs> and you know gay Asian activism fame. He's now、uh, he's also got Leia Salonga, who won a Tony for、uh, Miss Saigon and was the voice of. Of Mulan in in Mulan and and of Princess Jasmine in Aladdin,、uh, so it's a it's a great show. I I can't wait to see it. I think it opens in late October, early November,、uh, touch wood. But you know, if you if you ask either Jay or me, I dare say almost any American of, of a certain generation,、uh, what the most impactful musical was in their lives, I'm sure that、um, you know eighty ninety percent of us would say that it was West Side Story. Um, with its unforgettable score by the immortal Leonard Bernstein, and I have only to listen to the overture、uh, with the, the themes from all, I mean Maria and Somewhere and and、um, Officer Krupke and America and all those wonderful, you know, Somewhere, God,、uh, uh, Tonight,、uh, all those songs, I I. You know, I can weep, right? So here, metal guy, right? I'm in rapturous <laughs> transport.、Uh, so Leonard Bernstein was, of course, one of the truly great figures in American music, composer, conductor, and Of course, someone very passionate about musical education—not just musical education, but about education more broadly. So today, we are honored and thrilled to welcome the son of the great Leonard Bernstein, Alexander Bernstein, who is in China continuing his father's mission of connecting people around the world through music, with a program called Leonard Bernstein: His World Through His Music, which includes performances of his father's music with commentary. He is the president of the Bernstein Family Foundation, founding chairman of the Leonard Bernstein Center for Learning, and president of Artful Learning Inc. Well. Welcome to China, and welcome to our little podcast. We are incredibly grateful that you've made time to join us. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So, accompanying you, Alexander, on 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 this tour are two accomplished performers, but alas, we were unable to accommodate both in the cramped confines of our studio. So, the the pianist Justin Snyder has gallantly stepped aside so that we could invite mezzo soprano Carla Dirlikoff to be in the studio with us. Welcome, Carla. 
Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, great. Uh, so, Carla, you, uh, you were the first vocalist to win the prestigious Sphinx Medal of Excellence, which was bestowed upon you by U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. That was at a ceremony at actually and a concert at the Supreme Court. Wow, so we are, we are in the presence of greatness here. So A tough audience, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was it like a five to four majority? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was one of the best acoustics I've ever had the pleasure of singing oh. in. Oh, yeah, wow. Oh, Absolutely wow. stunning. Yeah. So singing to the choir instead of <laughs> with the choir. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> tough audience, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so, uh, and of course, uh, making all of this possible is the amazing Alison Friedman, who listeners to our show have met before Alison's Ping Pong Productions has been at the forefront of Sino-American culture exchange, uh, and in bringing Alexander and Carla and Justin to China, she continues that great work. Uh, she also introduced me to the Taco Bar next to the Bookworm down uh, in San Luis. Uh, One of my greater which, legacies for you. Exactly, <laughs> I am I eternally contribute. grateful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so let's jump right in. Let's start talking about the actual program that you guys are, are bringing uh, to China. You, I guess, maybe we could describe it as a combination of uh, a concert performance and an interactive lecture, maybe? What, what, what is it? Is that sort of fair? Yeah, a narration with uh, Carla singing and Justin playing the piano. Mm. Are uh, you musically contributing to this also? Oh, no. <laughs> that, is, that is not what I do. Uh, um, and that's why they're so wonderful to, to be joining me on this uh, journey. Um, no, I'm just talking about, uh, about my father and the family and making it a little personal okay. and showing some photographs and some videos and so on. Um, and it's been a really, really fun, fun ride. Um, I can see on the program, we you know we got a little advance on the program that you've 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 actually got some you know uh, classics from the American uh, songbook that Carly is singing, as, as well as you, as well as pieces dedicated to Copeland, and so there's it's more than just Bernstein's music. Bernstein's music, there's a sort of a trying to recapture the the the, the milieu of the composer and the, and the musical background. Is that part of your trying to introduce that context to the Chinese audience, or or uh, why, what was the reason for the repertoire? Uh, the reason for the repertoire, and I don't know uh, exactly what what list you have there, but um, we do uh, have Justin playing uh, excerpts from Rhapsody in Blue, mm-hmm. just showing as an influence on Bernstein uh, how Gershwin, the elder, <laughs> the elder, yes, ushered in the era of uh, jazz and blues in the concert hall and the fusion with uh, classical music and so on. Um, and apart from that, uh, we had thought about originally having some Sondheim songs because of the influence of my father on other composers. Mm-hmm. Um, but time constraints made it impossible. So it's otherwise just Bernstein music. But I have a question. It's a, a you know, a different generation. Oh, except for, <laughs> except, I was, I was gonna, except yeah. for an excerpt from, uh, from Carmen. The Habanera, which Carla sings. Oh. How familiar are Chinese audiences? How familiar are Chinese audiences with Bernstein? I really don't know. That's better for Allison to answer. Yeah. But uh, in we've done three performances uh, so far, and apparently the people who have come to the performances are pretty familiar, but not with the music that we are doing, which is really nice. 
Yeah. I think people certainly know West Side Story is right. the go-to musical that people in China generally are, are quite familiar with. Has that uh, show been done in China anywhere? Even on a small st- stage? Yes. No, actually on a big stage. I think in the early 2000s they did a production at... Uh, what is the big Soviet building out at Shijiman? The Jalan Zhongxin. But beside, but not recently. So how people know it perhaps are from the movies um, or just the music has has come here. So the minute you say Shichengushi, Chinese audiences know it. So they perhaps don't know that's Bernstein, but they know that musical. Mm. So then the minute when you say Bernstein, they say who you say Shichengushi, West Side Story. Oh, da 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 da. And then yeah, it's a, a reference. I, I, I tested my wife, who uh, is a music lover, but doesn't is isn't somebody who who knows the names of a lot of composers or artists from the West. And as soon as I, I played a few snatches, ah, she, she knew exactly where this came from. So at least she knew West Side Story. Oh, that's go. great. So it's a great way to take a seed that people know and then you build on that because uh, it, it's what's most fun to do is say, well, if you've heard of that, you might also know or you might also like and then build from there. And, and the last three days, I think audiences have been surprised to hear just the, the breadth and the depth of what Bernstein as a composer and a conductor worked on. Right. Speaking of breadth, uh, so Carla, you're an opera singer. I mean, you typically sing classical opera. I mean, you sing, uh, as we said, Bizet's Carmen, you've done many times. Uh but in this program, there's a lot of more popular music. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this something you're, you're, you've, you've, you've performed before? Or? Well, I've always been interested in it. And I suppose I started um, my interest in singing through that vehicle as a high school student. Oh, okay. The very first thing I ever performed um, was uh, somewhere for mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Day in my high school in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, so to now, you know, be singing that for a new audience here is, is very, very special. But actually, I think what's interesting uh, about this repertoire is even the songs that are, let's say, pop or jazzy, um, they require a good ear and they require sure. a good technique. Um, so there's there's really no you know cutting corners in that sense. Um, and I do feel like my training as an opera singer is very beneficial for this repertoire. So How does a girl from Ypsilanti end up as, um, at, you know, great performer on the world stages. I mean, it just seems an unlikely bad. <laughs> Dream that big. Bossa, wasn't that a Bossa Nova classic? Yeah, the, the girl, girl from, from Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti. <laughs> She's tall and tan. Yeah. Wow. yeah, I love her. yeah. Right. That's no, no, she really is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're not kidding. <laughs> well, I, but I think I, I was going to say on your first tour, Carla, so, so Carla's toured twice uh, with ping pong's programs she's been to china many times i think you just said six Six seven times um but through us this is our second time but the first time actually the audiences the students you spoke with were as interested in your personal story as they were i think with your music so i mean what were some of the things you felt resonated with chinese students well you know i think it's just a very simple concept of hope Mm -hmm. uh which is also something we really explore in this program but for me my personal story is um one that is unusual, but yet I, th- I think a lot of people can relate to. I am the firstborn American uh, to two parents of different cultures. My mother is Mexican, my father Bulgarian. And whether it was from that element or from you know being a small town girl in the Midwest, I did grow up with very big dreams and aspirations and with the idea that through hard work, anything is possible. And that is really the message that we spoke of a lot on the last tour with these college students was you know, to always 
remember that lesson that hard work pays off and, you know, just having the patience and setting goals and continuing and persevering through. Um, so again, I don't know whether that comes from, from my own background personally or just my heart and my belief, but I think it's something that we can all relate to on some level and then treating everyone with that same level of respect, uh, whether it's in China, in America, in Europe. And as I said, it's something we talk about sort of on the third part of this program, I would say, especially is that message of hope and humanity. How are you not on the cast of Glee? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I might be a little too old oh, no, no, uh, no. to to qualify as a high school student. Maybe yeah. maybe the college version. Let's right. hope. Glee, but well, maybe you know, they're in college. Global now, Glee, right? global so, Glee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, you're you're too young to have been on Fame. So I mean, do you remember that show? Anyway? Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so you guys have been here for a couple of days now. You've managed to give three talks already at, at Peking University, at the UCCA, the Ulin Center for uh, Creative Arts. Contemporary Arts. Contemporary Arts. arts or, I'm sorry. I always know it by the acronym. And uh, at, and at the, the EGG, the National Center for Performing mm-hmm. Arts. Uh, how has the reception been? What kinds of questions have you gotten? What's, what's it gotten like? It's been so exciting. It's, it's my first time in China. Right. right your first uh, time in China. And all the audiences have been... Have been absolutely engaged and interested and ask great questions at the end. At uh, Peking University, everybody in that room, I think, asked a question at the end. And a a great one and and interesting and really made me think. I mean, you know, usually I have my sort of pat answers for for these things, but... um, Mm -hmm. So there were they, they were terrific. What, 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 uh, now, of course, you're going to ask me now. What, what <laughs> I was hoping that you were thinking they were of unforgettable. The they were unforgettable. <laughs> they would have been. <laughs> but uh, no, you know, like I said, this is a lightly know, edited it, show. Yeah, so like, usually, they don't. You know, someone will ask me, "What's it like to have a famous father?" You know, but uh, they ask, "Why aren't you a musician uh, right. like your father?" And I, I sort of. They got personal say, real well, fast. Well, you know, I ask that. I ask myself that question every day. You know? <laughs> but yeah. Alexander is in the arts. The first time I saw him, he was acting in a play in New York City. So, uh, indeed, I used yeah. to attempt to uh, <laughs> to act in plays. Yeah. What the, the reaction? I think that uh, most of the people that I know who love classical music have certainly heard of Leonard Bernstein because. They see his face and his name on all the all the CDs that, that they buy, right? All the New York Philharmonic uh, ones. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and but I th- I think that most of them, that even if they've heard of West Side Story, they may not know actually of of your father's extreme eclecticism. That that you know even in one piece like his Mass that was commissioned, uh, you know, for by for the seventy one opening of the Kennedy Center. Is is almost? I remember when I first heard that it, it's got every style, every American style you can possibly think of, in and there. even some others, and even some other styles. And I wonder how you know Chinese that, that this smashes their image of who Leonard Bernstein is—that he was not just a classical conductor. Have you you know do you encounter any shock and awe <laughs> that, that he was so all over the map? Um, not really. From it's funny that the one question about his uh, eclecticism came from somebody from, I think, South Africa. Mm. Um, uh, This fellow mentioned how interested he was to find out, you know, how broad the styling styles were. Yeah. Um, But, uh, no, I think everybody's very accepting of it and open to it. And, uh, but it is, I mean, it still amazes me to this day 
the amount, the the depth and breadth of uh, his of his work, and yeah. you know the Latin influence and sure. the jazz influence and the the very uh, specific European classical influences that are very different, but all appear. And it's always Bernstein, you know. Yeah. He always makes it his own, of course. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was going to say, sorry, I just uh, wanted to ahead, jump please. in. You were saying were Chinese audiences surprised by the eclecticism, and I almost think that because this is such an early tasting platter, there might not be enough knowledge to be mm-hmm. surprised. I'd right. actually almost find American audiences would be more surprised by the eclecticism because they would know enough to, first of all, recognize the different references in the music. Whereas a lot of audiences here, especially when we're going to um, universities or some of the schools that might not have as much music background, they might find, holy cow, you know, it might be their first exposure even to jazz music. So then to hear that this man had that plus more, plus more, um, I think that might happen in the next couple tours. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, Alexander just gave us a CD set here of some of uh, Bernstein's works, and one of them is The Mass, and one of them has the song, uh, the uh, the, uh, Devotions Before Mass, a famous song that's called A Simple Song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know that song? Mm-hmm. Uh, How a few bars. Sing well, it's what you're, God um, a simple yeah. song. It's, louder, louder. Yeah. I will sing the Lord a new song. Da, 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 to bless the Lord. And I played that a long time for a friend of mine, music, musician friend of mine, you know, as an example of, of something that was classical music in a sense, but it was, a, you know, and he said, how is this classical music? It's just a, be- it's a beautiful song. It's a simple, mm-hmm. almost a pop song or a, you know, a folk song. And, and that struck me at the universality of it. He had written a folk song based, or, you know, it was more complicated than a folk song by, mm-hmm. for sure. But it, the, it, it just, it would just resonated instantly with this person and someone who hated classical music. Mm-hmm. And said, "This is classical music. I never knew that. How could this be classical music?" Well, I don't think my father would have said it was classical music. It's he wouldn't just, have cared. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he really didn't care. Yeah. He didn't care what it was called. Yeah. Candide could be an opera. Candide could be operetta, a Broadway show. He didn't right. care. But I mean, he he set a, an entirely new standard for what uh, musical theater, what music from a right. musical theater would be, and and. You know, you, you cited Andrew Andrew Lloyd Webber, but um, I, I see it my in my own brother's writing. Uh, he is extremely eclectic. There's there's big band elements in in the music that he composes. There's uh, you know a lot of swing and stuff like that. But there's there's also um, kind of Stravinsky or um, Prokofiev or, or, or you know you know the Eastern European the late the late composers with odd time signatures and 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 mm-hmm. really kind of um, you know Bartok like yeah. dissonances in, in any tongue dynasty. Yeah, you know, I used to help him out with some arrangements for instruments that he didn't know really well, but uh, that, that, those days are long, long gone. He also wrote a lot of uh, songs that appear to be easy, and you think you know how they go. I had that experience this morning. Is I was, I was, I turned up. Um, something's coming very loud, and you know, there's, there's, it's very hard to sing that song because there's all these, you know, quite subtle key changes, and it, it. Even if you have lyrics in front of you, you just it, it's yeah, tell me about it, yeah. <laughs> guys. Yes, it's hard, and it's not only hard because of the musical elements; it's hard because of the vocal elements. Right. I mean, these songs uh, encompass such a wide range, and you go from you know rather straight tone singing or what have you that you know, elements technically that would be used in more musical theater style to really elements where you need that operatic sound, you need that big sound that carries through so it's it's very very demanding well uh, 
I can't wait to hear you. I, I hope I get a chance to see this. I'd love to see it. Um, let's let's talk about uh, something that I think is is. I, I know your father had planned to come to China in the late 1980s, uh, in the later years of his life, but he never did manage to come. Um, but even in the 1980s, I think there were a lot of people in the classical world community in in the West who were already looking to East Asia and even to China as sort of a, a savior for classical music mm-hmm. because it was already evident, I think, by the time that I was in high school and college that... that uh, the interest in classical music music had, had fallen off precipitously. I think this was probably already obvious for your father in the 1950s when he started doing this program uh, for young people, a CBS program that ran for two decades. Can you tell us about that program and whether he was thinking now about the precarious situation of, of classical music in America? I don't think at that time he thought it was so precarious when he started in 50, it would have been 58 or 59. Okay, he was just carrying on a tradition uh, of the Philharmonic doing young, young people's concerts, only they were starting to do them on television. Okay. And he happened to be very gifted at doing them and uh, presenting them and engaging his audience and asking questions and not condescending and not mm-hmm. being like, you know... The dopey old teacher. Did you have Peter and the Wolf when you were a kid? Oh, of course. I had that. Of course. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's not one of my favorite. I, mean, I listened to that recording endlessly when I was a child. I, I love that. So I know your, your father's voice is so familiar to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and he, he would, he would and speaking of not near. condescending, he would, he would bring on a uh, singer. He brought on this uh, pop singer, Janice Ian. Do you yeah, remember yeah, yeah. her? Yeah, Janice Ian, of course. Yeah. And he brought her on and had her sing her song and, and explain to the audience why it was actually an interesting song. And he was so effusive, and he hugged her and everything, and he said, how did you write such a beautiful thing at 17 years old, you know? And he would, he would you know, at the time, I was, that was the height of Beatlemania, as I recall, and he would get on the piano and play a Beatles song. Everybody just, was so surprised yeah, and excited. It absolutely it. was astonishing to see this. I just but wonderful, it. yeah. Such a refreshing absence of yeah. snobbery. But anyway, I, I, was, I was talking about um, music in China, and I, the other thing that you hear often, I mean, even while people are, even are talking about East Asia as maybe the salvation for more traditional classical music. I mean, because people don't push... Somebody even like me, I was a failure in the eyes of, you know, your standard Chinese-American parents, because I I did my piano and I did my violin and even played a couple of years of cello, but then I was seduced by the electric guitar, right? Which (laughs) It happens to the best of us. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's really only a a lot... I mean, you look at the orchestras now at universities and there are so many Korean kids, there's so many Japanese kids, there's so many Chinese kids... Uh, but you hear the knock on them all the time about them being robotic in their play. You hear, I mean, in jazz, mere right? technicians. Yeah, mere technicians. Mm-hmm. That, right? Maybe they, they aren't as um, as capable of say uh, emotional expression. You know, oh, you know, he's got kind of a crappy rubato, and he's a, he doesn't. Um, yeah, the the victims of the Suzuki method. Right, 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 right. right. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you make of this, Allison? You, you've you've been crossing the oceans and and talking to a lot of people in, in that world. Do you hear this still? Is this fading now? No, you still hear it. Uh, And you hear it across not just music, but dance as well. Mm -hmm. The technicians are spectacular. You know, legs wrapped six times around your neck and can do 12 flips and land on your nose flawlessly. But then when it comes to improvisation or or creation, that it's still lacking. I mean, it's... uh, 
I think stereotypes obviously outlive their truths. They perhaps occasionally start from some kernel of of a phenomenon and then uh, move on. And I think that certainly it's changing and there are a lot of the places you see it changing is in the desire for more. Uh, you see jazz programs and electronic music programs starting at different universities. You see a lot more student groups starting that uh-huh. in the conservatories in other genres that are, you know, it might be a classical conservatory, but you'll have a student jazz band and they're looking for more. So, mm. uh. I mean, while I would probably push back on that stereotype too, I confess that I know an awful lot of parents who push their children into orchestral instruments, not out of love for music or not out of an expectation that their children will develop love for music, but because it's some kind of social signifier, because it's some sort of status or, or um, you know, uh, a sign of, and this is this is common to the, the arriviste, right? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like um, it, it can be true or uh, it's certainly not much, not true for much longer. And I've seen some amazing soloists in, in China and, and I wonder if it's I wonder if it's, right if it's a social development phenomenon too though what you're saying about uh, a status symbol because I, certainly I would imagine in the states that happened or in other depending on where economies in certain company uh, countries are are evolving that rather than you should appreciate this because it's good for your soul but rather oh we're of a certain status therefore you should go study this or that's what all the Joneses and our neighbors are doing mm-hmm. so our child should do that as well um, and actually that's one of the criticisms I hear a lot from conservatories here is that you go to the dance academy in order to learn to hate dance (laughs) (laughs) that you graduate because it's just been so beaten into you for so long that uh, by the time you graduate the last thing you want to do is go become a professional dancer which of Mm. course is tragic and and again I think as the education systems are changing uh, and there are other alternatives to the state-run education systems you see private dance and music schools uh, opening that those are creating a different appreciation and experience for students learning. Yeah. The line always was in uh, in New York that there wasn't a Jewish household without a piano. Right. And I think it was exactly the same idea uh, of a social signifier and mm-hmm. of upward mobility. And we have a piano and our kids are going to learn to play like, you know, right. the, the Christian kids. As many Chinese as there are in, in orchestras, there are probably still more Jews. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a great thing. The, the gene has migrated <laughs> to the Asians. <laughs> yeah, the gene the, it migrates a lot. I mean, even in, in the sciences, I, I remember I was interviewing somebody not too long ago where, uh, uh, when I was uh, back in my earlier incarnation as a reporter doing something on the life sciences where somebody had, had said, uh, American graduate programs in the life sciences exist to transfer knowledge from old Jewish men to young Chinese women. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah, very yeah. Good. Oh, that was a great quote. But, you know, back to Bernstein as, a, as a, a sort of an inspiration, you know, I would guess, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, if there is a problem with the musical education here, it is, and, it, and it's mainly from the pressure of parents, I think, is that they tend to think, oh, my child is going to be, you know, a classical pianist, or they're going to be a violinist. So they, they, they feel like they must put them in this regimented, you know, course. And, and, and to veer from that would be, would be something, you know, that would, that would result in ultimate failure. And I, th- I think someone like Bernstein is a good example of someone who, from the very beginning, was, was not, it was very eclectic and was, was not attached to one kind of music. He played jazz, he listened to jazz, he played all kinds of music and, and as a classical composer. And he himself was, was controversial and was criticized 
by the musical elites for doing that and saying, you know, you should be, what, what does Mahler have to do with this dancing and stuff, you know, this Broadway? And so Mahler I, would have loved that. Oh, Mahler would have loved it, of course. Well, maybe not. <laughs> it depends. But anyway. Bach would have loved that. Bach would have loved it. Yeah, Bach would have loved it. Yeah, Bach would have loved it. But I mean, I, I, I just see maybe for the people who are studying music can learn that there was a Leonard Bernstein and that he was someone who was not, that had no boundaries, which is ama- amazing for exactly. his time. Exactly. And he made all of it so accessible uh, to everyone. Well, what, yeah. Musical theater seems to me like it, it should be accessible to anyone. I mean, and it's such a, it's in many ways, it's sort of the highest form of American art. I mean, it, it does combine uh, so many things. It, it's, it's dance, it's dramatic storytelling, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's orchestral music, and it's all all these things together in in one art form, uh, and that's maybe why I love it so much. How? But I, it strikes me that outside of maybe London, there aren't other places in the world outside of the United States where musical theater seems to have really become commercially viable and and you know extremely popular. Um, you've traveled the world now doing this teaching. Um, what? reasons might there be why this has not yet caught on globally and maybe what do we see happening in china allison maybe you can talk about that but first uh alexander if you want to well i think it's it's such a uniquely american art form it's as simple as that i mean it just grew out of so was rock and roll kind of i mean it was british and american it was british and american that's true but it was a combination of you know vaudeville and opera and operetta and jazz and all of these really American things. That's true. Um, and and also American performers. I mean, they were, you know, it's only in the last maybe 10 years, <laughs> excuse me, that uh, there are kids growing up who are learning how to act and sing and dance all together. Yeah, the outside, outside of the States. And so I think it's it's really possible and I was talking about it with somebody uh, just yesterday about it happening in China. Um, and of course, it's possible. We fit Mamma Mia, Cats. Cats, Mamma Mia. Sound of Music. Actually, a friend of mine uh, who I was just reacquainted with, uh, we'd known each other a long time ago, she was Maria in the Chinese version of Sound of Music. I had thought about actually inviting her along tonight. But that would have been, been Champagne. I don't know if you know who she is. No. She was very famous in the late 80s, um, a, a folk singer. She actually was the one who sang uh, with Wham when they oh, came. Oh, wow. And, and she recorded all the Chinese versions of the Wham wow. songs. But she was Maria in, in a, 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 a national touring company of, of the Sound of Music here in Chinese. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to chime in. Yeah, um, because I think that there, there is a very, very important element to uh, both of the last two questions that have sort of been raised here. And that has to do with... Um, an introspective process, what mm-hmm. I like to call the the journey, the inward journey, or even we could go as far as to call it a personal revolution. And this is a key, it's, it's sort of the kernel of the voyage of being a musician, I believe, or being an artist of any kind. Um, as much as we can talk about technique and we can talk about genre and style and, and so forth, really in order to succeed, I think, as an artist, the number one thing you have to have is something to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe that in order to get to that place, you have to at least be trying to gain a better knowledge of who you are as an individual. And it is through that process of individuation, if 
if we could call it that, um, that you can sort of discover your own voice, uh, literally and figuratively, uh, to bring to a character. Now, to me, what's particular about musical theater, and again, it's not, it's certainly not my specialty, but what I see is one of the challenges and the beauties of the genre is how much it requires in terms of that expression, mm-hmm. um, particularly from the acting. This is not music where you can stand back and sort of sing, and it's all about that beautiful line and that beautiful tone, as would be the case for bel canto, let's say. This is music where every word counts Mm, where you know the acting component has to be strong and not just showy but reflective of and and involving that personality that that sort of um character of the the person who's interpreting and that's why you know so so much of what alexander's saying um in terms of why this genre is important in Americana has to do with the interpreter themselves. I mean, we've had some really iconic interpreters um, that have taken one song and turned it into a whole play in and of itself Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. through this process. So I think in my limited experience working with uh, Chinese students in particular, I've I've had the opportunity really... um, on several occasions to go into conservatories and sort of get to know some of these kids that are studying, there there are incredible voices here. I mean, the, the actual raw vocal talent here is certainly at the top of the world from what I have seen. However, I think one of the strongest challenges for these kids is that acting component because it requires them to come so far out of their comfort zone um, and you know, it also requires a very deep knowledge of who you are, mm-hmm. particularly if we're going towards anything remotely sensual. And I've had this experience mm-hmm. with Carmen on a number of occasions. I mean, those those kinds of emotions, love, um, those are tricky, I think, for, and again, I'm making a generalization, but I think they're a challenge for a lot of young Chinese singers to, to access that and not only to access it, but to emote it. Um, so that's, you know, I think it's it's a wonderful opportunity that this repertoire presents for young students to sort of broaden their horizons, stretch their limits. And I really, really hope that more and more uh, young Chinese singers look at this repertoire with that opportunity in mind. And I would add, secondly, there is the advantage of also doing repertoire in English, which, you know, I think it's, I think doing repertoire in as many languages as you can is always a benefit because you start, you know, to learn the language, you're more familiar with it and so forth. So a very long answer, I suppose. No, no, but you're you're right. And I, I, I would actually agree with you. I think that there's something about the system, the very people who would be apt to be selected for and then go through a system where they'll have a shot at something like that. Uh, the kind of, of training they receive isn't going to emphasize the introspection, isn't going to emphasize, I mean, it's going to be a little bit focused on, on technique. It's going to be, you know, a little bit. How was it? Oh, I was just going to ask, how was it with the professionals you've worked with, though? Because you, uh, it's certainly one thing with students, but then because um, you've had quite a bit of experience in Carmen with professional opera singers here in China. Yeah, you worked with an all Chinese cast on Carmen here, right? Twice now, no, yes, twice, right, right. Um, and and in a number of different productions and concerts as well. Um, and I mean, I have come to really, really love and admire my Chinese colleagues. Several of them I've worked with on more than one occasion. Mm. And I've learned also how challenging it is for them when I have been put in the situation of having to learn Chinese songs, which I've now performed mm. on several occasions. So, I mean, 
really it's my my hat goes off to them for the challenge that it presents for them to do something like Carmen in French. Um, And I will say, I mean, it would be to them to answer that. But from what I have seen, I think that the acting component is often the challenge. Um, Obviously, these guys that, you know, get up at places like the NCPA and so forth, um, they have come through that training and they they are sort of the creme de la creme to, to have those opportunities. But we can see it, you know, with some of the younger singers with the chorus um, and just what a, what a range it requires for them and what a journey it requires for them. And again, in my observation as an outsider, how different that is from everyday life here. I, again, I, I really uh, say this with full respect, but I think there's an element of wanting to blend in from what I understand in daily life, whereas as an artist, you have to stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could be wrong about that. That's that's really um, you, just absolutely. an observation. Yeah, yeah. You brought up language, and uh, I think one of the things that I wanted to ask Alexander is, you know, in your experience now internationally, how well is West Side Story travel? My, I imagine it's such a universal story. I mean, and it's based so squarely on, on Romeo and Juliet. It's it's got to have tremendous international appeal. Yeah? It's it, amazing how uh, how much it's performed and watched uh, around the world and translated, um, and in even schools around the world. I mean, there yes, there are touring productions that do very well you know, all over the place. It's got to be difficult to translate librettos. Any libretto is difficult to translate. And this was my question about the English thing, too, because there's only if you if you stay in English, then it's repertoire. It's in English. And just like Italian opera will always have aficionados, even if they don't understand Italian. In the Chinese, it's a little bit of an advantage because people do understand English and they're willing to, to go that extra mile to get it. They actually enjoy it. But if it's going to actually be something that grabs a larger audience, you've got to translate it really and truly. It's and the, that translating is the biggest challenge, one of the hugest challenges. It's the libretto, the, the, the book is translated. Yeah. The lyrics are, you know, it's pretty much impossible. <clears throat> well, that's what I was wondering because yeah. you have examples like Three Penny Opera, you have Brecht. That song, Mac the Knife, is huge. And it's partly in because English. in English, right. because mm-hmm. it was translated so idiomatically and beautifully into English as a creative sort of translation, you know. You know, if there's it, a Brecht tie to this show. Really? You don't know. The, the oh, theme yes. song to this show was actually, I wrote I that. I do know this, yeah. Go ahead. I wrote that actually for a Brecht, a performance of a Brecht play wow. for The Good Woman of Sichuan. For yeah, you told song, me. Right, song of the Smoke is actually that. So for the next thing, we should <laughs> do that from the Three Penny Opera, right? You get a little in Chinese, yeah, right. Hmm. No, but I mean, it, it is a true, right? I mean, if, you, if this is going to be universal, you've got to get some really, really good translators, such as the people who translated all the Mozart operas and everything. This beautiful. Beautiful English, funny, rhyming, and you got to do the same thing with West Side Story, obviously, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, like Moliere, yeah. like Moliere, right? Do you know yeah. how many languages West Side Story has been translated in, roughly? <laughs> uh, no, I could <laughs> guess probably. I'd 15. love to see a Chinese translation of it. That would be so fascinating. I'm Wouldn't sure. that be in Taiwan? Have they done it or something? I'd love to see. I don't know offhand, but I'm sure I would. I will find yeah. out. Listeners, if you are aware of yes, any of please. Yes. please let us know. Brendan, Brendan, Brendan. Brendan. <laughs> yeah. What does Brendan know about it? <laughs> but they often do teams for translations for things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what they had to do for Mamma Mia and for Cats when they translated it. And they do it for films as well, just yeah. in order to get... Obviously, for films, it's more straightforward to your challenge is to make it idiomatically relevant. But with music, then you have the added uh, 
trouble of rhythm and cadence and making sure it's not only the meaning translating, but keeping you, you can't go recompose all of the music to match the new lyrics. So and that's, staying in character. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Can you imagine how Chinese audiences would respond to the line, everything's free in America for a small fee in America? They would love that. It would just, they, would, they would stand up and applaud. It would be like, instead, it would be like, I want to go back to Taiwan. <laughs> I know what you could get. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. that, that, that would, that, 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 I'll do that. We'll start one. working on it. I was going to say, get yeah. out. That's, that's our next project. Yeah, the right. West Side Story. Next maybe. week on the Cynic Podcast, we, we, we'll perform in total. The entire West Side Story. Do you want? Do you want? <laughs> okay. Um, that'll be fun. So we're we're actually closing um, up in on, on our time right now, but um, I wanted to 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 uh, get any last thoughts about your uh, what you expect from China, if what what uh, what what you're looking forward to, any any anything that, that so far has surprised you or delighted you. Uh, everything has surprised and delighted me. Um, tomorrow we go leave for Guangzhou. Mm. Uh, we'll be there for three days, and then to Shanghai for. Five days. Wow! wow. Um, so there's so much more to, to see and experience, and it's all been amazing. And I, I, I'm so in the middle hands, of it huh? that I, yes. I just, uh, you know, it won't be till I get back that I can kind of process everything. Well, you know, drop us a line. Let us know. I mean, we would like to maybe if you if you can, if you want to shoot Allison an email or something and, and, and share some thoughts, we can read them out on the show. I think that, that people would really love to hear uh, how this ends up, Carla, both of you. And, and if Justin has some some, some thoughts and uh, shout out to him, I'd love to have had you on. But as Absolutely. you can see, it's already a little cramped in here. I'd be happy to. Yeah. Um, on, on this show, we do uh, something at the end where we, we make recommendations to our listeners, things that might be of interest to them. They don't need to be China-related. You know, they can be. Uh, mine this week, uh, once again, isn't. But uh, let's go around and, and do that. We'll start with David. Uh, just, you, in, you know, in the interest of time, I just want to make it short. Okay. I had another recommendation, but I just want to recommend a, a, a site uh, that I've been on, but I think it's very interesting for our Chinese audience. It's called Hacking Chinese, just hackingchinese.com. And especially the resources for people trying to learn Chinese. Lots of really interesting digital resources um, for beginners, advanced people. And I'll just leave it at that. Don't want to leave more, more room for Hacking other people. Hackingchinese.com. Yep. Mine is also a website, which we can put on because it's a little more complicated than that. Um, I've, I'm a latecomer to audiobooks. And one of the audiobooks I love are the ones that have different characters performing the different roles, which has brought me back to radio dramas. Ah. And uh, one of the productions, uh, the companies that Ping Pong Productions has toured in China uh, twice is LA Theatre Works. And on the first tour in 2011, we set up a partnership with LA Theatre Works and Beijing Radio. And since 2011, we're now in the fourth year, every single day, Beijing Radio broadcasts American uh, radio dramas. Oh, really? From classics to contemporary, you know, everything Raisin in the Sun and... um, uh, Arthur Miller, all the way to more contemporary works. So, how have I not known of this? It, they've keeping they've kept it well hidden, which is sad for Beijing Radio. So I'm here to bring it out into the light, wow. so that all of uh, Seneca listeners can listen to um, old time. But they're not old time. I mean, they're done. They're recent ones. They get a lot of Los Angeles and Hollywood stars to to be on them. So you'll hear voices you recognize playing Romeo or playing uh, other people from 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 drama dramatic history every day, every wow. single day. Terrific. They they stream it on. Online and they have it uh, on your radio. If anyone ever listens to actual radio anymore, <laughs> so I'll, I'll send you the link. You can put it up on the Seneca site, so everybody can go to your site to get their site. We will absolutely. I mean, I'm usually so terribly negligent about putting the links up, but I'll, I'll, I'll chase you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alexander, what do you have for us? Um, I'm going to switch my recommendation. Um, my other one was predictable and boring anyway. Um, to a website. Uh, we didn't get around to talking about Artful Learning. Which oh, is, yes, yes, uh, yes. Oh, no, please. So, Use this opportunity. So um, it's a project I've been working on <clears throat> that actually started with my father just before he died. Uh, we work with schools all across uh, the country and the states, uh, putting the arts at the center of the curriculum. Um, getting teachers to collaborate on the, on all of that. And so the website is artfullearning.org. And you can get there through leonardbernstein.com um, and uh, learn more about it. And there's resources for educators, presumably there. And uh, Absolutely, and uh, learn, yeah, learning about what we do and how we do it. Great. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That sounds great. I think I'm going to switch mine, too, now. (laughs) Um, Well, I've talked a little bit about my fascination with journeys and personal journey and Mm -hmm. self-discovery. So um, for me right now, I'm very inspired. I have been very inspired by Yo-Yo Ma uh, and his work with the Silk Road Project. And it inspired me after winning the award, um, the Medal of Excellence, to look into my own journey and path and heritage um, as my mother is Mexican. So I'm actually starting my own organization, um, which is very inspired by the Silk Road Project called uh, the El Camino Project and looking at that route, um, the Camino Real, which connects, of course, America and uh, Latin America and looking at Latin America's history and uh, culture through through its music. So I would invite everybody to please visit our website. We're launching this summer, uh, elcaminoproject.org. And uh, just, you know, briefly to say I'm, I'm inspired very much uh, by this idea of that personal reflection. And two of the books that I think have, have really helped me, uh, one is Justice Sotomayor's book, My, Be- My Beloved World, mm-hmm. uh, which I think her personal story is just fascinating. And uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, David Brooks, just came out with a book, The Road to Character, which I think is really, really... um, New York Times, David Brooks? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, One Republican, one Democrat. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Good bipartisan. (laughs) But both, uh, you know, fascinated by by that same sort of theme of, uh, you know, looking inward. So I just, I find both very inspiring. That's great. Carla, thanks. Um, I uh, have been kind of you know, inspired by the, the the end of the war, the anniversary of the of, of the uh, the fall of Nazi Germany, and I've been talking a lot to my children about it. And uh, in my peregrinations around the web, I, I, I read something that a friend of mine had recommended. Uh, this movie uh, called Conspiracy, which is a 2001 movie. It was a, an HBO BBC co-production, and it stars Kenneth Branagh as General Heydrich. He's a real bastard amazing amazing performance by him though um it's got stanley tucci in it and uh colin firth actually um terrific ensemble cast it's about a a meeting that was held in 1942 in wannsee in um in berlin this you know lovely mansion and it's it, it is almost entirely shot just in that one room and uh brilliantly written dialogue it's about the decision to implement the final solution incredibly grim topic but you're all familiar maybe with Hannah Arendt's famous phrase about evil you know the banality banality of evil evil, and this really is the banality of evil sort of come to life and it's 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 chilling it's absolutely chilling but it's something that we ought to I think in 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 our commemoration of the war revisit 2001 movie but it feels like it was shot yesterday absolutely brilliant film 
Thanks for the uplift at the end of the podcast, guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> Connecting the Sorry. world through art and culture and death. But I think we'll, we should, we should go, we'll, 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 we'll use some uplifting music at the end and maybe uh, yeah. a, a composition. How about, how about well, the obvious recommendation? Wait, none of us have the obvious recommendation that every listener has to go and relearn and re-explore the Bernstein oeuvre because yeah. as yeah, we talked about, it is far more given. vast and diverse than uh, anyone ever suspected. Is it available out there on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, you there, there, are, there are a ton of great interviews with your father on, on YouTube. Yeah. You can find there's yeah. a ton yeah. of great ones. Uh, and, and, and of course, the, the, the young people's performances. Uh, and the Norton you know, lectures. Norton yeah, lectures. Norton Harvard Norton lectures. Norton lectures. Incredible. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's the Peter and the Wolf recording. That, that's, that's just, that's <laughs> if my, you have children, My dentist gave me his copy of uh, Oscar Peterson doing West Side Story. Oh, wow. Which is one of the most amazing things I ever heard, and I can't believe I never had heard this. The yeah. trio. It's incredible. It's incredible, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And Allegiance, my brothers. Uh, yeah, of course, I'm going to throw in one more. On. I'll put it all, put it all in. on. Yeah. Allegiance, right? I mean, since we're talking about musical theater. Yeah, and now that I've made my confessions about, you know, uh, my, my love for musical theater, I'm sure that I'm going to lose a lot of fans of my, you know, my headbanging stuff. Yeah. With, uh, You'll gain new ones. I'll gain new ones. <laughs> all right. It's all worth it. Thank you so much, Alexander, for coming in. And Thank Carla. you. Allison. And, uh, and, and thanks for the gallantry of Justin for stepping aside yes. to make sure that we don't suffocate in this small room. <laughs> Uh, Thanks, let's Justin. all get it. We love Justin so much. <laughs> love you, Justin. Incredible pianist. <laughs> I hope you'll be joining us for dinner at least. Okay, good. Okay, well, folks, we'll see you next week and uh, have a good one. Take care. Bye bye.